Hi everyone, this is Ishan Iqbal. This podcast is a collection of my experiences in filmmaking. This is My Shooting Diaries, sponsored by W15. My guest today is Dan Sefton, a screenwriter and the creator of Good Karma Hospital. Hi Dan. Hi. How are you doing? Pretty good. I mean, it's pretty boring. We're in lockdowns for another two weeks. Hopefully we're coming back in June. Have you heard that? I heard it, but uh, yeah, June seems so far away. I know. It was going to be February, but they had to push that back because of, the, because of when it all got bad again. But yes, I think yes. now... Does that mean the scripts are ready? My first episode's brilliant. And then we've got, um, obviously, we've got some new writers, but uh, some new producers, but it's been good so far, such work. We'll be called Rachel. She's been very good, and she's a she's a good person. So, hopefully, yeah. I was talking yeah. to Phil the other day, then he was saying uh, they've offered him four episodes. Yeah, he's going to do the first four, just like last time, and then we get someone else to do the last two. Everybody likes Phil. I'd like to start just by asking you how you got where you are now, and uh, was this something that you always wanted to do, or was it something that uh, you've come to decide later on? Um, no, not really. I mean, I I was. When I look back at my my youth, like many years ago, I was always quite good at creative writing, and I never you know, at school. I never had an issue with that. I could just do it. I seemed like I could just do it, and and I almost found it like it was so much of a problem. I didn't revalue it very much. I just wrote stories that stuff, and mostly kind of really stupid, most attemptedly funny stories. But I was, but it wasn't a big deal for me. I, obviously, I I worked in science A levels and qualifications at school. Went on to be a doctor. I did that till I was about nearly thirty. And then when I was 30, I was working in London and I had to make a decision about my career. And I wasn't sure what I wanted to do in the terms of being a doctor. And I went on this course with this woman who was, a, who was an eye doctor who was running about medical careers. It was like, what, what kind of medical career would sort of suit you? And so it was kind of a bit touchy-feely, but I had to write some stuff in a book. I had to do like a journal, which was, at the time to me was like, what are you talking about? Like I would, I would rather cut my own hand off than write a journal. But I did it because I was paid for it. And she said, you seem to like writing. I was like, yeah, yeah, I kind of like writing. I like movies, I like TV. And she said, oh, why don't you become a TV writer? Or a, she said, she said, like a pop video director because I like music as well. I was like, you can't just become a pop video director. And she said, well, you know, you, you could, you know, meet some local bands and offer to do their videos for free and stuff like that. So I was like, oh, I guess so. And then one thing that she suggested was doing a course in, in screenwriting. So I signed up to a... Uh, a screenwriting course in London, which was like an evening course. It cost me £80 for 10 weeks. It wasn't very expensive. I went along every Thursday night and they did some lectures and showed some movies and stuff. And I just thought, thought yeah, I kind of know this because those films I'd see, I'd seen a lot of movies and I'm like, oh yeah, I understand what you're saying. You know, I, I, it seemed to come, you know, having a knowledge of film and TV meant I picked it up quite quickly. So I, I enjoyed it, but I didn't, I didn't think that much of it. And then I, I was... A friend of mine who's a, another doctor I knew quite well, her friend was working for the BBC on a, on a soap opera called Doctors, which is in the UK, still going. And I sort of chat, started chatting to her about this course. And she said, you should send me some stories. You know, and I was like, okay. So I sent her some stories and she, she thought they were quite good. So then I got this kind of weird, um, really fast start, right? I just, she said, oh, we'll, we'll pay you to write a treatment. So I, I, I just did it. And I'm like, oh, great, we're going to make this now. I'm like, what? So you need to write a script. So I hadn't actually written a script before. So I wrote, the first script I, I wrote got made. And um, it was quite bizarre. And, it was, and, and 
And then they said, oh, you can do another one. So I just started doing it. So I had this really weird kind of very fast start, which had its advantages and disadvantages, but that's how, um, that's how I got started. I was a combination of sort of being, taking a chance on something and just and being quite lucky and also just being like, why not try it? You know, what, what, what's, what have I got to lose by trying to do it? Well, then it was then it's like a different different chunk because I, so I was working for B, mainly the BBC and they got the, they did continue, what they call continuing dramas, so kind of soap operas, hospital dramas, and a lot of the people who worked for the BBC sort of started. It was quite a training. It was training for everybody, really, like young script editors, young writers, and so people I'd worked with who liked what I was doing, they they sort of asked me to to pitch for different shows. So I ended up doing shows like EastEnders and Holby City and Casualty, which is all kind of all in, the, in the same department. And that was, you know, I did really well then. I, I was quite enjoying it. And and then at the same time, writing some other things, original things. And then I had to sort of make a decision about, you know, whether I was going to write other people's shows the whole time or try and create my own show so that's when I sort of stopped doing that and started working on higher end shows and also taking time out of my own schedule to write my own picture thing which again was hard because you know it takes a long time I had a lot of things that I sold and didn't get anywhere and then cut to you know 10 years later almost or five six years later of doing that I, I, I pitched Good Karma Hospital that's with Tiger who liked it and that got into development and eventually got a green light. I think it was about 2014 or something. So I'd been working in the industry for at least 14 years before that happened. And then I got, I got two shows green lit in the same year, which was crazy. And things went off from there, really. Good Karma was um, like interesting development because it comes out, you realise these things come from lots of different places. So I was working with Iona, who you might remember from the, the first series. And um, we had various... I remember thinking nobody had really done a kind of a hospital show with English characters or British characters outside of the UK. And so initially, I remember that we pitched it being, it was going to be a, a British woman of South Asian origin going to Northern India to see her father and ended up being a doctor there. And then the head of Tiger Aspect at the time, who's not the head of Tiger Aspect now, he, I remember him saying, I've been to Goa, let's set it in Goa. So we're like, okay, we'll set it in Goa. So... So I'll change it to go, and it was then it was three medical students doing it, and then it was a a white British doctor who went to work for a South Asian origin Dr. Fonseca, who was going to be Portuguese going, and that was the version that we pitched to ITV, and they liked, and they commissioned a script, and then it was about another nearly two years before we got the green light, and it changed a lot in that time. The biggest change was that. Dr. Fonseca changed from being a South Asian woman to um, a white British woman. And Dr. Ruby changed from being a white British woman to a South Asian woman of British woman of South Asian origin. And so it changed a lot. But, and again, you just have to be, you have to be lucky. You know, it was just the right show at the right time. Nobody quite done exactly the same thing. It was kind of a concert that people found familiar enough, but not exactly the same as everything else. And it's been pretty successful. The idea behind the Good Karma Hospital the story and yeah I mean it was simply that I'd when I was younger and this was in 1997 I went to South Africa as a, as a junior doctor and I remember going because I've come from you know St Thomas's Guys Hospital in London I, I, I was 20 23 and I thought I knew it I knew, I knew everything you know as you do when you're 23 and I, I went to this place and I realized that all these doctors were incredibly skilled and a lot more experienced than we were 
and we were sort of miles behind and the, and the medicine was a lot more kind of not rough and ready but they were brilliant but they just got on and did stuff that we, we didn't get to do and so that was part of the inspiration behind it was it was just that a, a British doctor could go somewhere like it's like Goa or Carroll or somewhere and meet somebody who was who showed them how to be a proper doctor and was a lot, lot more experienced a lot more kind of worldly wise had a lot more street smarts and you know and was cleverer than them which is kind of ironically it sounds awful to say it, but it, it was sort of unexpected you know a lot of people would have thought it's like oh white doctor goes over do we need to tell to tell them how to how to be better it's like next to the way around it's this these people have got a lot more experience and this was the you know a lot of people we were, we were on electives a lot of people came came back as students to say my god these doctors are you so much more than you know, you showed me so much more. I learned so much more from these people than I have from anywhere else. So that was the main, the main drive of it. And also there was the, you know, this wasn't part, this was made up was we just thought it was interesting to have somebody of South Asian origin who is, who's never been there, you know, and this idea that it's like they, they're more English than an English person and they don't know anything about being, being from India and they're plonk men. People expect them to know something about it, but they don't. And also the idea that the Dr. Fonseca character had been there for so long, she was completely integrated and felt completely Indian, was really committed to it. Because it's sort of like, it's sort of like the flip of what we have in England. We have a lot of, uh, you know, South Asian origin doctors who've, been, who have, who've come there and are completely integrated and feel very, very English. So why not the other way around? So does that, mean, does that mean Ruby is Mrs. Sefton and... Uh... Gabriel is then? <laughs> no, not quite. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. I mean that's again all that other stuff is kind of it is it is actually made up. You know, I do. I mean, it's it's coming from very traditional places. I mean, I think with the with with the Gabriel character, I mean, he was very clearly kind of the, the romantic um, the romantic hero. But I think we just wanted to wanted to just to have these characters. It was it was more about the romance than the race. You know, I think that was what. And this is something I think we're still working on, especially in our, in our country and everywhere, is that, you know, you don't want to, let's write something which has got diversity at the heart of it, but which isn't about the struggles of racism, which are real, obviously, but it's about a personal romantic thing. And it's not really that important. We occasionally touch on it in the show, but not, very, not, not, not hugely. It's more about these people just happen to be either from... India or have Indian origin and are, and are in there and they're, they're doing, they're being doctors, nothing else. And people, I think people in England have really liked it. You know, they've been entertained by it. They've, and they haven't really thought about it in any other way. I mean, when, when Gabriel and Ruby were the first season, you know, I remember they were all on, they were on one of the chat shows and the host was saying, oh, this is a hot new couple. You know, everybody's, you know, and it was just, cause it's because they were both beautiful. You know, and it was everybody was enjoying it because it was a fun romance story with with very beautiful people, and that's what you want more than anything else, isn't it? I mean, I, I think all these shows are essentially kind of family dynamics, particularly why they're successful. It's just different family dynamic, and this is this has always been, you know, a, a very much kind of mother daughter dynamic between Lydia Fonseca and and Ruby. You know, it's been a kind of older woman, younger woman uh, dynamic, and the rest of the people are the extended family and they have rivalries that they care about each other and they fall out, et cetera, et cetera. I think people identify with those shows because they have, a, have similar experiences in their own, own lives. 
and if you can make it truthful and romantic and emotional, then people people like it. I mean, I think it's a the really fascinating choice to write because the simpler they look or feel, the more honest they feel, the more successful they generally are. But and they look very straightforward, but they're actually not as straightforward as you think. And um, that's one of the reasons that I like doing them because you're always kind of walking the walking the line of cliche. And sometimes you fall off the cliff and you go, oh, I could have done that better. But but it's it's to get people to really connect with it, it has to be close to the truth. So I think that's a very fascinating place for a writer and everybody who goes to the show to be. You know, you're always trying to to be truthful but not but not totally cliched and it's it's, it's difficult it's, it's there's a there's a it's the difficulty of this type of show you know i really like that uh the fact that we actually touch on um, the current events like the season three we had the acid attacks which was really moving like and uh, mm. a lot of people really thought that it was very important to tell that story like the way it was done then how they handled it and how they took care of uh like, is that something that you had to do a lot of research on to write such a story? Yeah, we did. We did a, enough research in the sense that we we knew it was a an ongoing issue and felt truthful to talk about it. And I think we also knew that it was a sort of thing that we couldn't do it do it as a story of a week, for example, because it was there's, there are no easy solutions to it. So it felt that there was an opportunity to do it throughout a whole season. So six hours of screen time, we might be able to get some sense of. So this terrible event happening to somebody and them approaching some kind of closure with it or at least starting to cope with it. And I think that's unique in TV. Even in a movie, you know, you probably couldn't really... It's diff, it would be difficult. You know, sometimes these solutions feel trite. Um, I also think that it's actually much more effective to, to talk about these issues within a very safe show because people are not... If you said, hey, I'm going to do a drama about acid attacks... Not many people would watch it because they don't want to watch that. I mean, that some people would watch it and it might get a BAFTA or something, but it's not really discussing it in, a, in, a, in an approachable way. Whereas I think with us, you know, we've, we've tackled some sort of big issues like in season one, we talked about, you know, death, you know, and bereavement and dying of cancer. And in season three, we, we did about um, the rest of the tank. But, you know, because it's surrounded by light and shade and different tones, it kind of either sneaks up on you if you're not expecting it, or you feel, yeah, I'm not being hectored, or I'm not being a message hasn't been shoved down my throat. So I think for me, it's more effective, and it's one of the nice things about doing doing the show. What What do you think is the toughest aspect of writing today? I think it's changing. I mean, I think that TV writing is it's always hard because because number one, there's so much on at the moment. It's very hard to be original and cut through. Um, I think it's hard because the process is very, very hard. You know, it's it's this kind of intersection of fantasy and reality, whereas, like, you know better than anybody that you've actually got to make the thing. And if you can't find this set, you can't find this actor, you can't get this location, or you can't got the time in the day, you, you can't do it, no matter whether you've imagined it or not. So you're, as a writer, you've always got to be prepared to try and change things and, and bend the script to, to what you can actually achieve and make that good, which is... You know, on good days is a real interesting challenge, but on bad days can be very frustrating. And then I think now we're entering a strange time where whether as a writer you're allowed to write in different voices and what people are accepting and what they're not accepting now, which for some writers is fine, I think, because a lot of writers tend to write their own experiences sort of thinly disguised and they, they mine their own souls and their own 
backgrounds for material and that works in one way certainly I've never been that kind of writer I've always been more interested in other people's points of view and other other lives because my life's pretty dull really so um that's becoming interesting now for creatives and you know actors as well who are being told you know you can't you know play different parts or different sexualities and things like that so I'll be interested to see how that how that pans out I don't know whether I would get the good Carmos for commission now because I'm not a 23 year old woman from from with South Asian origin and I'm not a 50 something year old woman <laughs> either I mean um, I don't know I think that's difficult that could be difficult for people I, I, I think we haven't really got the answer to that yet right we just finished funny boy and uh... It's coming out next month, and uh, there's this huge controversy about uh, the director not casting uh, any Tamils for the film. Is that something acceptable? What do you think about it? Like, I think it's difficult. I think you you want to give equality of opportunity as much as possible. But again, it's like TV is kind of the art of the possible, isn't it? I mean, if you if you've not got, if you can't find the right actor or something for, for a role from exactly the right community or the right background. What do you do? I don't know is the answer. I'm not, I'm not really dodging the question. I don't know. I think it's very difficult. I can, I can see merit on both sides. And I certainly think that there, there are things that, that were done in the past which are now obviously very uncomfortable with people, you know, playing roles they're clearly not, you know, supposed to be doing, all the way back to Laurence Olivier, you know, blacking out to play Othello, which I remember I was taught at school, you know, and I, I, we watched that at school and it was, it was like, this is a brilliant performance by a brilliant actor. You know, and now it wouldn't be shown. It would be banned, and probably rightly so. But how far do you go? When do you when do you stop? I don't know. When we are shooting, would come hospital. Do you personally like to get involved while we are shooting? And uh, would you accept if an actor wanted some change for their performance to make it better? Like I don't really like going on set. Now I find it really boring because um, I don't have, I don't have anything to do. I don't mind if I've got something to do, but I, I, in general in life, I can't stand doing nothing. Doing something useful, I might be all right, but just standing around, I find it interminable and I don't really enjoy it. I'm quite relaxed about people changing stuff. I'm not really that precious about the lines unless the line is very, very important. I mean, I think that the thing about TV and film is that the final thing is, is, the, is the movie. It's not the script. The script is just, nobody really looks at the script. So often, you know, actors you know, we'll change stuff. And I go, great. Yeah, if you want to say it that way, fine. It doesn't really matter. But occasionally there's something which is very important, which has to be established here for the story to work. Otherwise, I'm generally quite relaxed about it. The choices aren't always the right choices, though. I mean, there's, that's the, there's a complex interaction there. So often the compromise is just to say, well, can we have the, the, the scripted version? And we'll look at the other version and we'll make a decision in the edit. And I think that that's what I've learned more than anything else being involved as the next producer is, is that, you know, so many decisions are made in the edit as well that you know it's good to have those choices you know different things come out of it so i'm not i'm not terribly precious about it at all really um but i just want to know why if it's if it's an actor who's really knows the character and the part and has a really good reason great if it's just somebody who wants to make their part bigger because they're not really interested in the whole thing more interested in their own performance and their own role then that's when it becomes difficult and probably doesn't help to help help the thing at all in some ways, if, you, as, if as a writer and as a creator of a show, you're inspiring people to take what you've got and run, take the ball and run with it, 
and be creative, great. They'll probably do something better. I mean, one of the things about writing all these characters yourself is that the biggest trap is they all sound like you. You know, the hard, the hard thing is to try make these people feel like kind of rounded different individuals. And I think that's probably one of the core skills of screenwriting or drama. And you can see people who just completely self-obsessed people who just write about themselves. And the, it's, it's not, it doesn't work. It's not that interesting. You've got to have different points of view, you know, and, and you've got to kind of invest each character, you know, give them a, you know, you've got to totally believe what Lydia says and totally believe what Ruby says. And if, if they're both have different but equally credible points of view and they clash, you've got drama. If they're both kind of agreeing with each other the whole time because they only have your opinion, then it becomes really dull. So that's a long-winded way of saying, yeah, great, as long as you make it better. If it's, if it's self-indulgent rubbish, then, then don't, please don't do it. If you've been inspired by what you've got and you think you can add another layer to it, which makes it feel even more real and truthful, then fantastic. Let's go back to 2014-15 when you were greenlit. Were you involved in the casting of the show as well? Yeah. Yeah, that was one of the first ones I was involved in. I'm thinking Amanda was was cast very early and she was one of not the first from the very first book we went to and she really liked it so that was a great because that was you know reassured everybody and then the other roles obviously none of the other guys had huge profile apart from neil and um and yeah so we saw quite a lot of tapes and and we were backwards and forwards all, all of them until we we you know we, we chose who we chose which mainly amrita and james and Vinny was the main characters i think neil I can't honestly remember Neil, but I think Neil was, again, was offered it quite early and said yes, which was great. So we had those two kind of big, big UK stars attached to it and wanting to do the roles. Fantastic. Um, I think casting, I mean, I don't, I don't have a veto with casting. And all the shows you know, I've done, you know, you have castings, I find I'll say generally comes down to their network, really. They have their own ideas about, about what they want the show to do. And so I, I, go back, I go backwards and forwards and cast. I think if you get the right established star, it can be fantastic for a show. Um, I sometimes I feel quite jealous of, I've been watching Mindhunter on Netflix recently. And I don't, and I think somebody's quite liberating to have a show and nobody's that well known, at least not to me. It makes it much easier to sort of, you know, become lost in it and feel that it's a real world rather than a, a make-believe world. So I think it can work both ways. I quite like, I do think, not, not for good comment particularly, but I think in general, I think we should be casting a little bit more, less unestablished people and, and a bit bolder, you know, giving new people a chance and, and just keep, keep, keep that going. I think we're a bit too, you know, reliant on, on, a, on a, few, a few names the whole time. I think it's a, it's a little bit, it, we could be a bit bolder, I think. I think people don't care that much if the material is good and the floor is good. Like, for example, India is doing a lot of work with Netflix and Amazon and they've like, I was offered a job in uh, India last year, which I couldn't uh, end up going. But the actors were all newcomers, like all the main roles were all newcomers apart from one actress who was a well-known actress. So mm. think that is that something that uh, British also should adapt to? Yeah, totally. I mean, I mean, we, we're trying, I mean, we've always been... Always try for even the first season to try and introduce new writers to the to good commerce and give them a chance chance on that. We're doing it again this season. I, I think it's it's a question for networks really. I mean, it's 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 not you know go back to the, the diversity question because we obviously have you know a lot of responsibility in, in for, for in, in our show. And the problem for people in deck producer role is that there's a limited pool of 
of non-white actors and directors and talent. And and then, but you, when you try, when you try and say, well, let's have somebody completely new, people say, well, what have they done? You go, well, they haven't done much because they're new. Oh, we don't want them then, or well, that's a bit of a risk. It's like, well, nobody gets a chance then. You, you've got to take a risk on new people all the time. And, and sometimes things might not work out 100%, but you might find somebody who's amazing. And then the cycle continues. I've got to be careful because it's the same for me. You know, people go, why are you commissioning him again? And eventually, I'll have to, I'll have to, I have to accept that and go, yeah, I've had my chance, you know, and it's time for me to do something else and somebody else to come along. But I do think that we, as an industry, we do have to continually look for new people and give new people a chance and support them. You know, I think the role is what we're trying to do with this show is I'm trying to, well, maybe on the writing side, try and support new writers and help them be successful and help them not to fail because it's quite easy for new people to and experience the fail and then feel, lose their confidence. And in fact, they need to be encouraged and supported so they can learn. And in it, like in every part of the production, you know, you need everybody who's writing, acting, whatever. They need an opportunity to learn and to grow and to understand what's going on. And that's what we should be doing. I was given the chance, season one, that was my first proper big job, Good Karma Hospital. That was my intro into being an assistant director. So hmm. one took a chance in me and season two, I was offered the second, second job. Season three, I was offered the second. So. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, the whole, the whole thing needs new ideas and new, new people need, need, need a chance. And, and we're not, we've not been very good at that, but that comes from, that comes from the top, you know, that comes from the people who really hold the power, which is in the, the networks, the networks and the commissioners have to have to be the ones who take a, take a lead on that and empower, you know, um, producers to cast unknowns who are talented and they go, do you know what, we should cast this person, this person would be really good and they have to empower them to take that chance and, and, and allow it to, not to work. But it has to, it has to come from the very top. That sometimes frustrates me is that you're under a lot of pressure to, you know, uh, to achieve diversity targets. I've never met anybody in production who doesn't want to. You know, I've never met anybody who's gone, no, I don't want to do that. The, the question is, you know, it's the chicken and egg. It's like, well, you've got to let us take a chance on somebody who you don't know that well, who's just got potential, then, then we can do it. Advice that you can give someone who is a beginner writer? Well, I mean, I think it's really difficult and there's lots of things that are difficult about it. So you have to be, you have to be persistent, which again is a difficult advice because some people, you read stuff and, and it's just terrible and those people shouldn't persist. But I, I generally kind of, if, I, if people have sent me stuff to read, I generally, if, if most, most of the time it's pretty good. And you're going, well, yeah, you've probably, you've probably got the ability if you keep practicing and keep working to, to be successful. But now that hard, the hard bit comes because you've just got to be incredibly persistent and, and, and deal with knockbacks the whole time. Because that's what you get. That's what I still get. And one of the things that I've learned how to do is to be resilient. And whether that's, kidding myself or not I don't know but I think the point is that you've got you've got to be very lucky I think there's a combination of you've got to have the the ability to to do it and then you've got to combine that ability to do it with good fortune and I think it's the same with acting as well and there's, we know there's lots of great actors and lots of people who are very good at acting don't become stars and lots of people who are stars maybe they aren't great actors but it's a combination of having the basic ability and the good fortune and the persistence um, to do it. So I think that, you know, success in writing is the same. It's, it's about 
learning enough about your craft to be able to do it, being confident and bold in the choices you make, and then being persistent enough just to keep going to give yourself a fair chance of, of, of being successful and not getting absolutely destroyed by the first knockback, which isn't, which is impossible not to be discouraged by. I mean, I still get terribly discouraged and upset when things don't go right. And, and it never gets, writing never gets kind of gets easy. And I'm sitting with something now going, I can't, this isn't working right. What do I do? How do I change it? But I, I, I guess I now have the, have the kind of confidence that if I just keep working at it, I can probably sort it out. I think that's the most important bit, really. I mean, again, people say, oh, you need an agent, you need this, that, and the other. I think the question, the question that, that I, I asked um, somebody ages ago was, is it better to write something really, really bold that's not likely to get made, or should you write something which is really producible? And I would now say, and he, he couldn't know the answer to that. He wasn't sure what to say. And I think, having thought about it, that the best advice I say is write something really bold. You know that, that really stands out, which probably won't get made, but will get the attention to people, and then they will come to you and go, oh, "I've got a book which I want you to adapt that, the, that you know the network really like, or something like that." Or, or, or there's, there's something I've been as a producer, something I've been thinking about, which could you make it into a show? That's the more real, realistic way of getting getting becoming successful, because again, there are not many shows that come from amazing spec scripts which just get made. You know, usually it's a relationship with a producer who's got a relationship with a network who want to work with that producer or exec producer of that company and they have a relationship with the writer that would be perfect for the project. So it's a kind of a sense of building building a portfolio, creating relationships which puts you in the position to get that phone call to say, hey, can you come on and write this show you know, for us or can you write a script for this? And that's got a much better chance of being made because the network have already sort of, are already interested. And that's what I think a lot of people don't see. So it's almost like two processes. One is write something amazing and original, which gets you attention within the industry, and then build those contacts within the industry, which allows you to be in position to be the writer who, who gets the gig to write the show, which actually gets, gets made. And then there's a whole different set of skills that you have to learn quite quickly about show running a show or writing six episodes of a show rather than one episode of a show. And... I think that I was lucky that I spent a good nearly 10 years writing continuing drama for BBC without much responsibility for how shows turned out. So I got to a lot of training, you know, about stamina, how to make things work, how to deal with problems when the cast are unavailable, something like that. And that was still be a lot in good step. But when Good Karma happened, which was a difficult show to write, and there was lots of stress, as there always is, I just had a bit, I had a bit more resilience you know, to be able to start, we can get through this, you know. Would you ever direct a good karma hospital if you were given the opportunity? I can't be bothered. You know, I'd have to, I'd have to be talking to you all day for one thing. <laughs> but, but no, it's not, I don't think so. It's just not, I thought, I thought about directing, but it just doesn't really suit my personality. I just, I don't enjoy standing around all day. I don't really enjoy chatting to people. I find it psychologically very draining. Um, I'd much rather be on my own, which is why I'm doing. I'm, I should be here. This is this is where I should be, and I can occasionally kind of. Um, I, th- I think it is true. I mean, like you know, the idea of being in, like introverts and extroverts, and I think that you know a lot of writers are, are, are very introverted, and, and that's why they're able to do what they do. So I find those kind of conversations that kind of act very draining and tiring. Whereas other people just love it. You know, being on set. Yeah, you know, I'll be waking up at five in the morning, going, "Oh God, another day on set." 
you know, gab, gab, gab the whole time. Doesn't really, doesn't really interest me. It's like horses for courses. If you like doing it, wonderful. And I, I like, I like working with good directors, and if they enjoy doing it, you know, good for them. And and the thing is, you can, if you have a good relationship with the director, you can get what you want. If you're good at writing, you can write what you want, and you can talk to them, and they usually make what you want, and then they make it better. So you, you get all all that you want, but you don't have yet the full ache of actually being there, which is perfect. All right then. Thanks for doing this. Uh, I hope to see you soon. Uh, let's hope uh, June 2021. See you in Sri Lanka. Yeah. It's going to happen. We'll be there. Yeah. All right. Okay. Thank you very much. I'll see you soon then. Yeah, see you soon. Thank you for listening into the Shooting Diaries. Next episode features Reed Dunlop.